Hello, welcome to Kairos. I'm your host, Joshua Pfeiffer, and I'm here today with Dean Eaton to talk about evangelism and church planting. Dean, good to have you here. Thank you. Really good to be here. Uh, so, Dean, perhaps you can begin by just telling us a bit about yourself and uh, your current area of service in the church and beyond. Yeah, well, I was Adelaide-born and, and bred and uh, raised in the Baptist church here, right? So, did all the usual things that you do uh, in terms of getting to know people across the church as well, mm. rather than just my own church. I love... Um, the fact that I had a great family that I grew up in, mm-hmm. you know, who, who encouraged me in, in life and ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we uh, did really probably 35 years of church planting and pastoral work. Your, as in your parents did? No, or I your, did. You did, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. After your parents having encouraged you in the Christian journey, yeah. Your, your current area of service in the church isn't particularly in the area of church planting. And I was curious as to where that came from, mm-hmm. you know, if there was particular things that sort of um, ignited that, that passion, I guess. And mm-hmm. you'd point back to your family a bit or are there any other particular influences along the way? Uh, I'd say that it was my praying medical missionary mother was okay. a large part of that. Hmm. Uh, but also I think there, there was a, uh, an environment that I grew up in which really encouraged evangelism and church planting. And uh, I, in my current role uh, in the Lutheran Church, it's uh, training and mentoring church planters, which is really my sweet spot in, hmm. in, in ministry and in schools. So I uh, really love uh, doing it and... I feel called now to really train others to do it. Mm. I've been a Lutheran for nine years now. Okay. And that's another whole story. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious to hear more about that. But just And just before we do, um, perhaps to go back a step mm. in regards to that, um, those decades of experience in, in church planting, can you just tell us a little bit more about that? So is that mainly in Baptist circles or other denominational circles? or? It was... Um, it, I was really a Baptocostal, right? So mm-hmm. I, I mixed it up with the Pentecostals as well. Yep. And, but really, I was, my roots and my uh, ordination was Baptist. Yep. And that involved church planting in three states in Australia mm-hmm. and in Japan. So hmm. in, in Japan, we, we uh, really had a great time, particularly in the Kansai Prefecture, which is the Osaka, Kyoto area. Mm-hmm. And we planted churches in country towns in Australia, as small as 1,500, mm-hmm. uh, 5,000, 10,000, 25,000, then sub- city suburban areas, um, as well as um, urban areas. Mm-hmm. So we've had quite a broad cross-section of uh, experience in that regard. Mm-hmm. And often country pastors say to me, well, I you've never been out here, so what do you know? And I say, actually, I have been out there right. quite a bit right. and love it. I loved planting churches in rural areas. Hmm. And, uh, but it's different everywhere you go. Mm. And in that work, um, I always went in with ideas from the latest book I'd read or what I thought I knew from my last experience. Yep. And in every case, uh, it, was, uh, it worked out a lot different than I expected. Okay. And I learnt that you can't. You can't go in with a set strategy. You've just got to go in with principles and skills that you learn mm-hmm. and then discern as you go with mm-hmm. God how, how things are going to turn out. Right? 
Now you're speaking in the in the plural here. Is this a royal we, or you're talking about yeah, you and your wife? Well, or? Yeah, you've got to you've got to put the family in there because they're yeah. so much a part of it. For sure. And always there's been a, a team approach. So when I say we, I also mean the the, the greater community of people that joined us, got behind us, mm. supported us along the way. Mm. So yeah, it's not a royal we. It's a it's <laughs> it's a great cloud of witnesses we. Yeah, you know, indeed. Than, yeah. And. Uh, and and, and really, even in church planting, one of the things that often people don't tell you is that, uh, like they might say, it went somewhere and left a church of 100 people or 200 people, and it sounds impressive. You know, you, you kind of sound a bit like Billy Graham or something, and mm. you've gathered this big crowd. Well, the reality is, uh, the reality is that you, you tend to find that uh, very initially you see one or two converts, mm -hmm. and they become catalytic. To everything else that then rolls out from there, mm -hmm. and so um, uh, that that's really the key for me is to see the first few converts that then who are locals who mm. then are catalytic in seeing others come in, and and then the the process of discipleship starts there, and then of course you're forming them into a community called called a congregation. Mm. Otherwise, why else are you doing it? Yes, right? yeah. You can't separate those two things. Yes, of uh, making disciples and forming a community of faith known as a, a local church, a local mm -hmm. congregation. Mm -hmm. It's inseparable. It's all of one piece. You know. And so all of these um, decades of experience in, in church planting and evangelism in, in um, different Christian contexts, as you've described, um, and so how does a guy like you end up in the little old LCA um, as, as a yeah. Lutheran church planter? Oh, well, that really, uh, um, probably Dr. Mark Worthing is a bit to blame for that. Okay. Uh, he he uh, he and I were working together at Tabor College and uh, Tabor Adelaide as as lecturers uh, in the same department and and he challenged me to read the Augsburg Confession again and I'd read it many years prior because I'd grown up in a family where my mother when I was growing up would read me two bedtime story books. Uh, Enid Blyton, The Magic Faraway Tree, was yeah. a real favourite for me as a kid. And the other thing she would read to me from the time I was little was Calvin's Institutes. Is that right? And uh, she loved the Institutes, right? <laughs> what a great mix. Yeah. So she thought, I'm going to get theology into this kid quickly, right? Right. So she was from this, like a lot of the Baptists here, mm -hmm. were planted out of the Charles Spurgeon London Baptists. Okay. And Spurgeon was awash in his, his preaching with Luther and Calvin. Yeah. You know, he, he was... Um, not a hyper-Calvinist, but he was no. always quoting Luther and Calvin. And, and, and so he was probably the right kind of Baptist to, to lead me to Luther eventually. Hmm. And so I did this. It, it wasn't a big leap for me to go from Calvin to Luther. Hmm. When, when I read again the Augsburg Confession really 15 years ago and got di in dialogue with people like Mark Worthing mm. uh, about it because he's an ex-Baptist too, you see. Yes, okay. And so there was a lot in common that we could talk about. Mm. And uh, I realised then that in terms of the sacraments particularly, where I really sat was a Lutheran theology mm. on, on communion and on the attitude to the scriptures mm. and even to things like Israel and all that stuff, mm. you know, all of those mm. issues. So, and the two kingdoms theology of Luther, all those things resonated so powerfully with me and I realised where I sat in the body of Christ theologically was, was with the Lutheran Church. 
So I didn't burn any bridges with the Baptist church. I still got, occasionally, I still get an offer to pastor a Baptist church. Sure. But then when I tell them, I, you know, how do they feel about me baptizing their babies, they're not too sure, right? <laughs> they go, oh, you really are a Lutheran. Right. You know? Yeah, right. And so... Uh, These are the touchstones, I think. Yeah, touch the rubber hits the road, yeah. So I, I'm proudly Lutheran and, hmm. and love our Lutheran church in Australia. It's, hmm. it, it, uh, uh, coming into it, it feels like a family, mm-hmm. sometimes a small country town, mm-hmm. but it, uh, the benefits of that are there's a sense of when people welcome you in, you do feel like you're part of the family, even though you, you have no, uh, no heritage in it. Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. thinks you've got to have some heritage, a name like Schultz. Or, so with a name like Ethan, you stand out as not, mm-hmm. but I've never felt any hindrance to fellowship in that. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. From, from everybody. Mm. I can't mm. think of anybody that's made me feel unwelcome. Mm. Mm. That's wonderful to hear because you yeah. certainly have heard that. You certainly hear those stories from other people. I don't know other people who have experienced the um, the um, sort of embarrassment of not having a German name and people don't know what to what to say next yeah. and this sort of thing. But my sense too is that that's, cha- that's, that's changed. changed. That's changed. Yeah. generational thing is changing and and you go many places. Well, you know, our current bishop often comments about how we have. Um, you know uh, Henderson as a bishop at the moment, yeah. and and all these um, these things. Uh, it's it's good to hear. It's refreshing. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. interesting hearing those hearing parallels though with people's stories that often those who come into the Lutheran Church. It's it, it amounts to something like they sort of just one day they realise not that they they have decided to become Lutheran, but they just realise they already are. Yeah. And actually, yeah. they just have to find where they just from journeying in the yeah. scriptures and yeah. and matching that with real pastoral work right. on the ground. Um, I think we, do, we deal well, as the Lutheran theology deals well with paradox and mystery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it de- deals well with questions of um, uh, how we applaw, uh, apply law and gospel to, to even our living, practically, mm-hmm. what that means for us in terms mm-hmm. of attempts at self-justification and, mm-hmm. and all of those things. Which, uh, and, you know, I, I love the fact that we, we start with law and, and, and that leads us to grace mm-hmm. rather than starting with grace and leading us on to law because mm-hmm. that's a tyranny too, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm probably speaking in theological terms now that some mm-hmm. may not resonate with. But Yeah, that's okay. We, take, we go where the conversation yeah, leads us. But, yeah. but and, and perhaps you've begun to touch then on one of the other questions I wanted to ask, which is um, um, you, it seems to me you're someone who's perhaps almost uniquely placed to, to compare and contrast um, uh, your time in other churches, your time in other theological church circles and in our circles in regard particularly to, to evangelism and church planting. And so I guess I'm curious as to what, from your perspective, does church planting look different in a Lutheran context? What what may be some of the uh, strengths there? What are the weaknesses perhaps in um, maybe not so much Lutheran theology as much as Lutheran culture? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I'd, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on that sort of mm. thing. Mm. Well, I think I think you, you can't separate our approach from a, uh, to, to evangelism from that either, because the way we evangelise as Lutherans is uh, is is different. The invitation we give is a bit different. Mm-hmm. We tend not to talk about asking Jesus into our hearts, and we tend not to talk about uh, there being a sense of you know Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and you've the handle's on the inside, you've got to open it, that kind of more Arminian view, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we tend to flip it and we tend to say, 
actually God the Father, Son and Spirit, because let's use the word God properly, mm. biblically, mm. is Father, Son and Spirit, are inviting us into their shared life. You know, it's not so much about us inviting mm. Jesus into our hearts as them inviting us into their shared life. Mm-hmm. Now, the only way that occurs is because of the cross. Yep. Okay, there's an uh, exclusive claim that Christ alone died for our sins and that that's our only, our only justification plus nothing. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the inclusive claim is that we also have a strong theology of the Spirit that tells us that the Holy Spirit is drawing all people to Christ mm-hmm. and that uh, everybody is being drawn to the Father by Christ. Now, as a Calvinist, I, you know, although I believe in preaching the word to everybody, I'd always have in the back of my head this little thing of, yeah, but there, there's a limited atonement. You know, there's, only, uh-huh. there's only the called you know, that, that uh-huh. will really come. As a Lutheran, I'm freed up from that a bit, mm. quite a bit, mm. to... Uh, to I'm freed from that in a way that enables me to face people and think, I can make a safe assumption that God is calling this person to himself. Yes. That Christ died for this person and I can have no hesitation in sharing with them. Mm. And the mystery around uh, all of that, I don't have to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. I can just relax in that. That I don't really know how it is the Holy Spirit convicts people or draws them to God. Mm. I'm either in the way... Or I'm a help to that process, yeah, and that that's a big difference, I think, in in the approaches. So that's very interesting. I, you know, I I um, I've read and and watched and listened to various um, prominent um, reformed Christian speakers and that sort of thing, and and it's. Uh, to be honest, in, sh- in asking you that question, I didn't have this in mind at all, that mm. actually this part of their theology, as you, as you say, sort of it, it's hanging there in the back of your minds when you actually do evangelism yeah. um, because is this person uh, one of the elect or not? Are they, I don't know how, how you would think of it, the, the rocky soil or the good soil, whatever, whatever yeah. categories you're using. Um, and um, I can see immediately you know, how there could be a freedom from just not having to think about those things mm. and just, just proclaiming the gospel and, and trusting that um, Christ died for all. It, it's, that's got to be a pretty significantly uh, different lens to look at these things. It from. really is. And I mean, mm. the other big significant lens that's different is for me now from when I was uh, more of a Calvinist, uh, more reformed, as we tended to say in the Lutheran church, um, is that I would tend to start with God's sovereignty and then work out towards questions of grace. Yes. Whereas now I start with grace and work out towards questions of sovereignty. Yes. Now, why that's freeing for me is because I think questions of God's sovereignty are largely a mystery to us. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things we don't know and, and shouldn't bother trying to find out mm-hmm. about God's sovereignty. But, but in terms of God's grace, uh, we can... Uh, we can marinate in the gospel of grace. You know, we can marinate in that. Mm. And that brings a, a wonderful sense of faith, hope, and love. Mm. Whereas when I, if I start with sovereignty, it becomes very technical. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just thinking technically, how does this work? Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas if I start with grace and work towards questions of sovereignty, it's easier for me as an evangelist. Mm. Wow. Um, 
of course we are thankful for our reformed brothers and sisters yeah. in Christ and we don't, we don't mean this um, this video to become too polemical or anything like like that but it's just uh, fascinating our, in the first instance I guess our um, the people we are, we're talking to are in the Lutheran church and so um, it's just quite interesting to think about these contrasts and from your perspective and it seems like that's a real benefit positive a strength potentially um, for Lutherans and evangelism and church planting it, uh, anything else you want to say about that or are there weaknesses as well things on the other side of the fence that come to mind that um, have been more difficult in in this area since coming into Lutheran circles well a lot of a lot of uh, there's an old Lutheran joke about what do you get when you cross a Jehovah's Witness and a Lutheran You'll get someone who will knock on your door, but they're not sure what to say when they get there, right? <laughs> and that's that's a Lutheran joke, so, and as I'm saying it as a Lutheran, so uh, we we often find that people are very keen about uh, mission and the idea of evangelism, mm. and even in across the board in evangelical circles, we find a lot of uh, people that are in their twenties and thirties very keen about church planting mm -hmm. as an enterprise. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they've got an entrepreneurial spirit, right, mm -hmm. uh, and very keen about social justice, but still the evangelism piece, uh, in other words, gospel sharing piece, I should use that word, really, yep. that terminology, yep. the gospel sharing piece is still um, something that's often left untouched mm -hmm. and, and it's found to be very diff difficult for many people. Mm -hmm. And that's largely because of the uh, the baggage that goes with the word evangelism and all the uh, all the set uh, uh, ways of sharing the gospel that people get taught or or used to get taught. Have a memorised script or three steps yeah, or a, yeah. a pitch, whatever the it is. The ABCs, you know, you know here's mm. the gospel download. Yep. I haven't cared about your culture, you know, your language even, your your own journey. I haven't asked you any questions about your journey. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to contextualise what I'm about to say to you mm -hmm. into your particular life. You know, I've just come with this gospel download, did you know, and bang. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not a dialogue, it's a gospel monologue. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's a very... So whenever I see any set format for sharing the gospel, door-to-door uh, -door or in any other way, and believe me, I've done it all. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, on the street, walking up to strangers. Mm -hmm. I, I do that stuff easily. That's easy for me. Mm -hmm. um, but... What, I, what I've discovered was that it was the lazy approach, okay. really lazy approach. And that I, once I got good mentors uh, in this area, they taught me things like, well, the first question you should be asking is what was God doing in this person's life before I turned up? Mm -hmm. So you become like a detective of divinity. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're, uh, it's, 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 it's really asking why is this person alive? Well, yep. There's biblical answers to that, yep. but let's get very specific about this person's life. Yes. And in the end, to be able to share very clearly uh, the main point of the gospel, which is the cross, I really believe that once we get off of the cross, uh, we are missing what is the great meltdown point for all cultures. Yep. So across, so it doesn't matter then, in, in that sense, what what culture or language or journey you've had. It's good for me to do that in order to tempt you with Christ. Mm -hmm. But there's a point at which we talk about the cross and, and unpack that really from a posture of being a, a co-learner mm -hmm. and, a, and a, having a humble co-learner facilitator approach rather than I've got the truth, you haven't, I'm in, you're out. 
that doesn't help people. Yeah. What helps people is to say, I'm, I'm just a sinner like you trying to work this out. Let's work mm -hmm. it out together. What do mm -hmm. you reckon? Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. let's, go, let's go on a kind of grace discovery journey. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you what I think the word grace means. You know, mm -hmm. it's that stuff. So mm -hmm. it's really important, all of that. It's yeah. highly relational. Yes. Right? There's a number of things that resonate with me about what you uh, have just said. And f firstly, just, I mean, among... Lutherans in Australia, for whatever reason, just this temperate. But the, the joke is, there's a lot of truth in it, right? The Jehovah's Witness yeah. joke, and yeah. and I know this te temperamentally, even I think that's probably a little bit more um, how I'm how I'm wired. And but the, and the the interesting thing is, there just seems to be more of us in our circles for whatever reason. I don't yeah. I don't quite you know people. People theorise about whether it's to do with our heritage and German heritage and problems with the government, all these sorts of issues. Who, who knows, really? But it just strikes me as something, it's just realistic. Mm. Um, I also resonate with the, you know, the, the, having the pitch ready or the, the script or whatever. I remember when I was with my wife once and um, we were overseas travelling and there was a person who was inquiring about, about Christ and the faith and, and we arranged to have lunch and... and um, and my wife had never seen me really have a conversation with someone else like this before. Yeah. And, and we had this conversation. I went into my little pitch, I'd say. And afterwards, she just said, what were you doing? <laughs> Why did you all of a sudden start talking so differently from how you normally talk? You're right. Okay. And I said, I don't know. But, but I, I think this is this, this sort of stuff. Somewhere along the line, I'd picked up a little you know, way of, of doing this, that you have your little pitch. And I think you're right that there's a laziness to it because what you're actually thinking is, once I do this tick that box and the rest is up to God and okay there's some there's some truth that it's always up to God but um but the hard work is 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 tell me your story and listening mm. and, and finding out what the particular um, what particular angle the gospel is going to come in for this person yes. and um, it's a bit it's a bit of more like joining their conversation with God mm -hmm. that God is actually having with them mm -hmm. my fundamental belief is that God is already having a conversation with the person. Jesus summarised it. He said that when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, judgment and righteousness. So I, that, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. And uh, for, for people who love the gospel, they recognise those three words as pretty loaded. Yes. Uh, and so I think there's, there's real content to what the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives. And we're joining a dialogue they're having with God rather than giving them a monologue from us. Mm. And when we join the real dialogue there that the Spirit is having with them, uh, and we do that by asking them good questions about themselves, mm. then we see the task as being more like a spiritual director rather than you know, somebody who's just going to give them the download. Mm. And the difference between the role of the evangelist and the role of the pastor, I believe, is, is that... And, and every person in the church is involved in, in a very generalised statement, both the pastoral work of mm -hmm. the church and the evangelistic work of the church, mm -hmm. even if they're not specifically personally called by God in the church to be a pastor mm -hmm. or to be an evangelist. But that work can be described as, just as pastors read, learn and pray the scriptures with people who are already baptised, Evangelists read, learn, and pray the scriptures with people who are not yet in Christ. Yep. Same gospel. Yep. Same open heart, open Bible, listening ears, 
prayerful hearts. Mm. Same activity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Different audience. Mm-hmm. And one of the differences with the evangelist role, though, is that there is a need to always be contextualizing the gospel with whom you're meeting. We can go as a pastor to, a, say, a Lutheran community, and that community will expect us to pray, read, and learn the scriptures in a certain way and say yeah. certain things. Yeah. And if we were to get off the track of that, we, we would ultimately could lose our, our mm-hmm. role as pastor, mm-hmm. and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with an evangelist, they're always having to contextualize the gospel, whereas for us it's a little bit easier as pastors to contextualize because we know what's expected. There's already a set language house that mm-hmm. we can plug into. Mm-hmm. Now, sure, there are new people that come in, transfers in from other places mm-hmm. or new converts that have to learn the lingo. Yeah. But generally, as a community, we have a lingo, right? Yep. So the, the evangelist role, relearn and pray the scriptures with, with people not yet in Christ, but then add to that a footnote, and that is you better be prepared for learning how to contextualize the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that makes me wonder too about how, um, I, I think it's, when I have conversations with people about things like mission and evangelism and church planting, it's, there's not always as a as as hopeful a tone as you have, which is refreshing, because I think generally people find this pretty hard going in our country, right? I was just talking to someone recently who's back in Australia on furlough. They're a missionary in Nepal, and they were talking about you know they just literally cannot keep up with the amount of people that are coming to faith, the amount of new congregations that are being formed, and um, and and the gospel just seems to be exploding, and 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 they come back to Australia and they they say, look. It is just. It, it seems to be to them so much harder here, and they yeah. can't even. They don't necessarily have clear answers as to why. But do you do you find that yourself? Do you have any particular thoughts about um, you know, evangelistic work in the West, in particularly modern Australia? Um, is it as hard as it sometimes seems, and, and why? Mm. Well, in the West, uh, the research tells us that in the West, Australia is uh, harder to see a convert than. Uh, England or America or Canada. Let's use those reference points. Yep. Hmm. Uh, we're very similar to Canada. Canada's a little better than us, a little, little easier than us. Uh, then, then you've got England, and then it's most easy in the US. Mm-hmm. So of those, those compass points, hmm. which we kind of identify with a fair bit as Anglo-Saxons hmm. in Australia. So this is all the West. This is not the West versus no. like Nepal, like I'm talking about. This is... We're even at the bottom of the list in the West. In the West, yeah. Mm. And so it is tough. Uh, There's a cynicism here. There's Mm -hmm. a grassroots cynicism. Even in the American culture with people who who aren't Christians, there is a fundamental, uh, some fundamental things within uh, the psyche of American culture which does honour God, right? There are some things about it which are unwritten rules that even people, having spent a fair bit of time in the US, uh, that's my experience of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, but you know, I've done uh, quite a bit of evangelistic work in Japan. Mm. And oh, this was just in the back of my mind as you were talking, is where that fits in this picture. And mm. it's it's notoriously a heartbreaker for missionaries, Western missionaries that go there. I remember this from church history. That yeah, yeah. Uh, so a lot of good missionaries who have done good preparation can go there for many years faithfully, and walk away ten years later with no no baptisms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've met those missionaries, you know, mm-hmm. they've cried on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, we, what we did 
that was a little bit different was we got away from some of the traditional ways of reaching Japanese young people and we got onto the university campuses in the English clubs mm -hmm. and, um, and when asked by the, by the staff, what is your topic? Oh, it's the relevance of Jesus Christ to life in Japan today. That's my topic. Hmm. They go, oh, good. Hmm. Speak on your topic. Intriguing, in yeah. English, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's 400 <laughs> people there who are not gospel hardened, mm -hmm. very interested in hearing. Mm -hmm. So when you go to Japan, you're witnessing your head off everywhere because it's, it's fresh to their ears. Mm -hmm. okay? Now in Australia, it is hard, but um, uh, there's a lot of uh, people also who are not cynical and hard. Hmm. And it is a little hard for me as a person who naturally is gifted in this area and has hmm. seen a lot of Anglo-Saxon Australians come to faith over hmm. the years. It's hard for me to grasp that it's hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like saying to an AFL you know, footy player, is footy hard? Mm -hmm. you know, you, hmm. You're kind of going to say, I love it. Or hmm. what's hard about it? It's fantastic. Hmm. Everybody should do it. You know. Mm -hmm. And you say, but I'm a hockey player. And mm -hmm. I say, well, what's wrong with you? Drop the bat and get out here with the footy. Mm. And um, it's very, so it's, it is hard for hockey players to grasp the joy of football yep. if you haven't experienced it. Yep. And it's just the same as that. So I, I, I'm a bit of a, uh, I'm a hard person to ask that question because yeah. I find it easy. Yeah. But um, I know people do find it difficult. Mm. And another interesting stat that may help you is that in church planter world in Australia, experienced Anglo-Saxon church planters will tell you that it's uh, for every um, for uh, every one Anglo-Saxon convert you get, you put as much effort into that to get ten uh, Asian student converts. Mm -hmm. Mm. So that's interesting. That, right? that sounds about right. Which is a mm. pretty obvious why. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm currently down. Um, currently involved in university chaplaincy and, and university Christian student groups and oh, yeah. and um, and you just you, the the overseas Christian fellowship groups yes. um, are are just booming. They are. And they are hungry. And my colleague um, went down to do a Bible study for the the leaders of one of these groups, and they say. Um, okay, we're going to start at nine o'clock Saturday morning. He says, okay, when do we have our first break? And I say, what break? You know, and they go through to one or two o'clock in the afternoon, just studying the scriptures. And there's just, and so there's a very different, there's something very different yeah. there. Oh. So I'd like to ask more specifically about church planting then mm. yeah. as well. Um, I think for a lot of people, they, they hear about things like evangelism and church planting. And, and they think this all sounds great. It seems like it's just something that should flow out of the, out of the uh, gospels and the, the life of the church. Mm. But but what does this actually look like in practice? Yeah. Um, what, what's the, is there an actual, I know you said you know, all of these things are unique, but um, what, what would this actually look like to play out if there was a congregation who was trying to plant a new church? Um, how long does it take? How does it work? Mm -hmm. now, I don't even know where to start with the question. No, but, a very good mm. question. Well, what, what, what we have done in the Lutheran Church in Australia in the last five years is we stepped back and did the research across the board and looked at all the different approaches and support mechanisms for church planting. And we work really hard at the research piece very consistently mm -hmm. to find out what uh, is working, what's not. Mm -hmm. right? And how we meld that with being 
true to our understanding of the gospel and worship. Okay, so those things are always in tension for us, mm-hmm. and we're always working those things out. Very simply, uh, church planting uh, has to happen with seeing people who are not yet Christians come to faith, mm-hmm. who are then being a common term to use is then we disciple them, right? Uh, and discipleship's one of those words which is a biblical word which we, if we really want to analyse it, uh, what we do today is not quite the same as what rabbis did mm-hmm. in Jesus' time. But the point is that you're walking with people who are and, and praying with them, teaching them how to read the scriptures and pray yep. and how to integrate their, their faith life with their everyday life. So it is a pastoral work, isn't it, to be involved in doing that with people. Mm-hmm. And we need many, many lay people to be doing that work mm-hmm. with pastors and under the supervision of pastors who are teaching them how to do that. Mm-hmm. So it becomes this multiplication issue, right? Mm-hmm. A pastor is seeing their role as primarily training uh, Christians to make disciples who make disciples, if we can use that terminology. Mm-hmm. Unless that multiplication mindset is, and is both structured into the church and into the way teaching is performed or implemented in the church, unless that occurs, you never will get a church plant out of evangelism work. Yep. It's the difference between a successful weekend fisherman or a major fishing company who's exporting to China from Port Lincoln. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you could have a good evangelistic outreach ministry and see some baptisms, but church planting is qualitatively a whole much a bit of a different experience. It's actually saying we will now have a new congregation in a new location mm-hmm. or amongst the new network. Mm-hmm. What we learnt was uh, from our research and uh, was that there are three uh, things that really help for success in church planting. And that is you start with a church that wants to plant a church. All right? You don't do it top down from a district or national level. Sure. You, know, you don't just get in the shiny experts and make it happen. You have to have a congregation that gra- grasps the idea and the need for it, goes on the journey together prayerfully, has some common language around that, which we would bring back to biblical language, hopefully, mm-hmm. and not just mm-hmm. novel language, um, that, that there would eventually be the identification of a leader who would be a lead church planter. And that could yep. be a lay person yep. uh, who's, a very, who's got good leadership ability and yep. has got a call to do that kind of work. And it will work under the supervision of that pastor of that sending church or mother church, as we mm-hmm. used to call it. So a sending church with a leader who, who is helped to raise up a team, a team approach works better than sending out a breeding pair and hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, giving the person a mentor in the field, an experienced church planter to mentor them once they're out doing it. Take away any of those elements from the church planting ex enterprise and you increase qualitatively the possibility of it, it uh, falling over within five years mm-hmm. and not being sustained mm-hmm. and also you increase the pain levels of the people involved in doing the work mm-hmm. so these are not an approach to church planting these are the support ne- mechanisms around whatever approach you're using mm-hmm. now there are different approaches one is you take a congregation that's down to 15 people who are saying, we've got a building, we've got a heart for the gospel, but guess what? We're all over 80. 
and the clock is ticking. Mm. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And so many repots, you know, yep. work yep. successfully. Yep. That's repotting rather than planting. Yep. Uh, that can work successfully. The other thing that can work successfully is a, a healthy congregation like you're a part of saying we're going to plant a church and it's going to be um, uh, still really part of us. And uh, a good example of this in Adelaide would be Holy Trinity Anglican Church in North Terrace have planted, they're about to this weekend start their 10th church plant. Mm -hmm. So they are a sending church that's planted 10 10 churches in in, in South Australia. Mm. They're still all affiliated with Holy Trinity, but they're sort of become their own entities over time. Correct. So yeah. it's really a multi-site, more a multi-site yeah. approach. So what we also don't do as a Lutheran church is prescribe the idea that uh, we start with just setting up a worship scenario, mm. right, mm. and um, hiring a hall, cranking mm-hmm. up the musicians and away we go, right? Mm-hmm. That's called a worship first approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and places that are mega churches do that easily. Mm-hmm. So you get a church like Hillsong and they will announce that they are planting a church in London and have a thousand people turn up the first week. Mm-hmm. Instant church, right? Mm-hmm. But they've sent in a full-time pastor with a team of a hundred. Now, mega churches can do that. The vast majority of churches, 99% of churches in the world, don't do that and can't do that successfully. Many try to do what we call a worship-first approach, right. where they do diminish their numbers in a negative way mm-hmm. or overload their, their team in a negative way and mm-hmm. go down the road and try and plant. And often it, it just burns people out. And there's lots of stories around people being burnt out by mm-hmm. that. Okay? I can imagine, yeah. Now, the other approach is what we call community services first approach. So you enter a community, you do a needs analysis, you work out what everybody else is doing and you fill a gap. So it might be Nobody's doing clothing, so we'll go in and do a clothing store, and through that we'll make contacts with people, mm-hmm. and then eventually start worship with people we make contact with, mm-hmm. and eventually share Jesus with them, and so mm-hmm. on. Okay. Um, and the third approach, which is the approach that we promote, is evangelism first, mm-hmm. and there's a, a lot of reason for that, and one of them is that if you if you confuse charity with evangelism, it gets really messy really quickly. Mm. Becomes bait and switch too easily. Mm-hmm. And bait and switch is, uh, I'll, I'll give you a meal and now really, and by the way, I'm gonna share Jesus with you. And there's a power differential in the relationship. Mm. The person may have come thinking, well, I thought it was just a soup kitchen and now, you know, you wanna preach to me. Okay, I'll listen because I wanna come back next week. Mm. Whenever I work in a soup kitchen and I've worked in them, mm. I never do evangelism in that space. Mm-hmm. I give people what the social contract said it was going to be mm-hmm. to give you a great meal and mm. have a great experience. Mm. Now, if you corner me and want to know, I'm not going to deny I'm a Christian, but no. I don't confuse the charity space. I keep that as unconditional with no strings attached. Mm-hmm. I keep that separate from work I do in relating to people as an evangelist where I'm befriending someone. I'm upfront about being a Christian yep. and I tell them, quite clearly, you're on a spiritual journey, even if you don't believe you are, and I'm going to join you on it. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Now, that's evangelism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's usually one life at a time. Now, 
The evangelism first approach involves forming missional communities or small groups who's, who indwell the word and pray together. They listen to God together, listen to one another and pray for the people they're making contact with who are not yet Christians. That's different from the goal of a growth group of Christians where they might be learning and indwelling the word and praying and listening to one another and praying for each other and so on. But the goal rightly is mutual edification. Mm-hmm. Let's build one another up in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's Christian fellowship at its best. Okay? Yep. Both have to be equally weighted in, the, in a congregation system for you to have a growing church in terms of converts mm-hmm. and not just transfer growth. Mm-hmm. And so many pastors are trained to do the growth piece and so they put all the weight and effort into that. Mm-hmm. And they don't encourage anybody in, in the space that's to do with forming small groups that would, would indwell the word and pray in that way, but very much with an accountability piece that says, so tell me who you're praying for. Who's the one person you're walking with? Mm-hmm. If you haven't got one yet, we're going to pray for that mm-hmm. until God gives you someone to mm-hmm. walk with. And um, most Christians, when they ask that question, haven't got anybody in their head mm. because they're so uh, socialised within the church. Mm-hmm. Most new converts within two years uh, of entering the church in Australia have no longer have any Christian, uh, non-Christian friends. Mm. You know, we've, we've got them in every roster, we've got them involved, we've told mm-hmm. them this is being faithful to God, serving in the church, and they've let go of all that social network that mm-hmm. could have been used by God to reach them. And so, again, that's how pastors are weighted in their thinking. You know, they're thinking it's all about growing people in Christ post-baptism, because that's our training as pastors. But to think like an evangelist where you say, no, there's got to be at least a few people that God is called to do the evangelism work or gospel sharing work and what Jesus called reaping the harvest, not just sowing the seed. Mm. And it reminds me, I remember reading... Um some of your book, most of your book maybe, and, and, and this, this emphasis on um, the fact that these pe- people actually are there. Yeah. A- and even um, notwithstanding what we mentioned earlier about the maybe temperamental, um, sort of slightly reclusive nature of Australian Lutherans, my experience is that in, in every congregation I've been, like when I read that, I started thinking back to congregations where I've been. I thought, oh, yep, I can see them. Those three people, those two people, this person... Um, there's every pastor I think knows that there's yeah. just there's always a few people in the congregation who are always wanting to talk about the latest person they've shared the gospel with, always yes. wanting you to pray for someone. Um, not necessarily a lot, but there's, there's always a, a few yeah. in my experience, and I really appreciated that that emphasis um, in your writing. And as you just mentioned it, because um, it seems like a very it seems like a very organic approach to, to recognizing you know the people God's already put there. Um, not coming with a you know a big big program that you force round pegs into square holes and that sort right. of thing, and encouraging the people God's put in front of you. And um, there's a lot of false guilt put on churches and congregations about evangelism. People say, "Oh, we all should be you know witnessing and all be evangelists," and it's true that we are a witness of Christ in our lives mm-hmm. and in our different through our different giftings and through our vocations and through our mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's true, you know, but. Uh, who are those that are called to reap the harvest directly? I believe that there's a there, that is a, a, a gift of the Holy Spirit uh, to the church. You know, it's the gift mm-hmm. of evangelist, the evangelist, uh, and 
an evangelist's ministry is a teaching ministry just like a pastor's is. It's just context, right? Mm -hmm. right? It's, not, mm -hmm. it's not that the evangelist comes up with a dumbed-down version of the gospel. and he might, just, uh, he might just adjust the language, but a good evangelist is not dumbing down the gospel, mm. and a good evangelist is desperately never wanting to do that. Mm. Uh, people say, so do you say a sinner's prayer with people? And I go, Never. I, I use the so-called Lord's Prayer, mm -hmm. all right? So I take them back to that because pastorally, if I'm working in your context as, uh, and working with you as a pastor and I'm working as an evangelist in your congregation, I do you no good at all if I bring you converts that have just said a sinner's prayer. Why? Because how you start this Christian life is how you're going to continue. Mm -hmm. And what we call the Lord's Prayer... Uh, it starts not with me, it starts with who God is. Yep. God our Father, you know, yep. and, it, and it, it takes you through forgiveness, yep. but then it, it's the implications of that for life as well. Mm. And it's a wonderful way of, uh, uh, of teaching people how to pray. Mm -hmm. So I believe when Jesus was answering the question about teaching people to pray, he was answering it for, for people who were not yet Christians as much as he is was for people mm. in the covenant. Mm. Well, what a wonderful way to um, to think about the Lord's Prayer yeah. you know, for us in that context. Um, so, Dean, another thing I noticed you have uh, with you today are some resources, yes. some bits and pieces that that have gone along with your work. Do you want to tell us a little bit sure. about what you've got here? So, if a, if a if a pastor or church leader out there thought, what is it? How do you become a sending church, or how do we even go on that journey? Mm -hmm. Well, we have uh, this brochure called Church Planting, which is really describing how to be a sending church, mm -hmm. right? How you, how you apply for that in the Lutheran Church of Australia. And that involves filling out an application which you send to me, and, and then our team is assigned to your church for a period of a few years to journey with you. Mm -hmm. right? And that's complements of... Uh, the the um, LLL uh, Mission Support Fund right. that we come. So this is available on our website, which will come up. Yeah, we'll put links in the description below. Yeah. Now, not every congregation is going to think we could be become a sending church. So what can we do in this enterprise? We want every LCA congregation to self-classify as either a sending church or a becoming one. Mm -hmm. In other words, aspiring to church plant or a partner to Ascending Church in your district. Mm -hmm. And we have Partner Churches brochure as well, which you can read about. Essentially, it says you can pray, you can give, or you can go. In other words, there could be one or two in your congregation who want to join a church planting team, mm -hmm. even though your congregation can't do that. Mm -hmm. You may even be interested in helping to be a short-term worker in a new church plant, a new congregation plant. Um, and short-term children's workers or musicians are always welcomed as well. Right. Right. The other thing we, um, we do is, I've talked a lot about evangelism today, and somebody asked me recently how long it took me to write this book on evangelism, and I said it took me 40 years. Mm -hmm. Right. I road-tested this material for three years on the road to about 1,500 Lutheran people that turned up to our evangelism workshops and got a lot of feedback which caused us to do a lot more diagrams than we had before. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of diagrams in here, <laughs> visual descriptions. And Sent Seeking the Orphans of God is free as a download and uh, from our website. 
and it's a PDF, or you can buy it online from Amazon and those places as a hard mm -hmm. copy. Mm -hmm. It is a 10-week small group study uh, with that group activities at the end, and it starts with a bit of theology but quickly goes into skills, yep. the kind of skills I've been describing. Yep. At the back of this book, too, is uh, two extra little resources, an eight-week course called uh, Renew Mission Life Communities, uh, Love Life Communities, which... Uh, is an eight-week course to help you form a small group to do relational evangelism in your congregation. Any congregation can do that. Yep. And another uh, 10 devotions for leaders. Uh, church leaders, what does it look like for us to support people doing evangelism? How does that affect our structures and the way we think about our church? How can we as council members, chair, pastors, support people in our church doing that? These 10 devotions are the 10 things I think you need to know. Mm -hmm. They're also in the back of this book. So there's really three resources here. Is there anything like a, an alpha course uh, for inquirers about the gospel? Well, um, you can jump to the catechisms for sure. That's not a problem. But pre that, you may need to do something that leads into uh, our, our uh, catechesis, right? Mm -hmm. And a good resource written by the Reverend Dr. Noel Jew, our Lutheran pastor and on our team, is New Life, New Love, and it's 16 weeks. And it's available as a free download as well. Mm. And it's small group studies, or you can watch the five-minute summary videos of each chapter online. Mm. So there's some resources about how to get into church planting, how to develop your skills. Very good. <laughs> Well, some good resources there, and um, Dean, you've been very generous with your time today. We appreciate you um, taking the time to have this conversation. Um, any um, final words of encouragement for people listening in the whole area of evangelism, church planting? Yeah, just that the, the, uh, it's often been said the kingdom of God is built one life at a time. Uh, ask God for one person in your life that he can lead you to, to walk with as a friend, a faithful friend who you pray for every week, who you uh, tell that you're a Christian and that you're praying for them and that you're interested in their life and you ask them good questions about themselves. Mm. And be surprised if the Holy Spirit doesn't give you an assignment. Um, an old mentor of mine once said, if you take the opportunities God gives you, you'll never have to manufacture any. Thanks so much, Dean, again. Pleasure. God bless you.